Harry, stand up straight, speak with a deep voice, try to look handsome. I appreciate you being out here today. It's a great day to be in the Lord's house today. I want to say a couple of things. We have, there's lots of new infants that's running around here. One's leaving right now, right there. We're waving real quickly. There's two or three brand new babies that were born this past week or in the last couple of weeks that are in our last, uh, some a little bit longer than that, that are here for the very first time. They were very excited to hear me preach. And so I'm not going to attempt to do names here today, but obviously there's going to be a baby dedication uh, or baby dedications in the near future. How many know that's very exciting? Very, very exciting. And I wanted to say a very special God bless to Sister Amy Cornett, because while I was out of town this week, we saw a note, me and Shane, that 36 years of teaching has come to a close, and a new season is what I think. And so congratulations, Amy. It's well-deserved. And I don't know what you're going to do, but you'll do well at it. Whatever it is, the Lord will take care of you and guide you. But thank you for taking care of the kids for 36 years. Amen. Amen. We appreciate all of our, our, uh, our church family and the Christian community that works on the school campus. Um, it's more difficult now than ever before. Let's be honest. If ever there was a need for there to be light in a dark place, now's that time. So those of you that are still there, shine the light. Shine the light. Lay it all down. Put it down. Put it on the, I think I'm reaching the place in my life where I'm saying, let's just lay it, let's just put it on the line right here. Sometimes I know this is going to be a bad cliche, but sometimes you just got to push all the chips in the middle of the table and say, here's where we're going to go and we're just going to see what happens. And I think that's going to set the, the context or the at least, I'm not preaching about gambling today, but I might in the days ahead. <laughs> So with this, though, I am going to ask you, I'm not going to read the opening text today. I'm going to get right to the Word of God. My heart is, is very prepared and also slightly heavy because it's a very, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very serious subject that I'm going to be ministering on today. I'm going to take you on a journey. If you'll stay with me, we're going to follow. We're going to begin at one place. We're going to end at another, but it's really all the same journey. But you may not be able to, to, uh, to discern that immediately. So... We're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading of the scriptures when we read here in a few moments. We're going to ask the Lord to let preaching be easy in this house. But even more importantly, we're going to pray that the hearts of every person is going to be prepared to receive the word of God today. That's our prayer today. I want to speak to you today from a message, and they're going to put it on the screen, but we are going to go ahead and ask you to stand, even though I'm not reading the text, but that's our tradition. I don't want to break that tradition. Message entitled, Don't Hide Your Eyes. Don't Hide Your Eyes. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm thankful for an opportunity to be able to minister the Word of God to every person that's here and even beyond. God, the, the thing that we have, Father, today, as you know, Lord, uh, we, we have opportunity through Facebook, good or bad, Father, to extend beyond even those that are listening. But this, those that are here in this present audience are just as much a part of this very serious subject that we're going to talk about today as anyone, and I pray, Lord, that you're going to use this word as a catalyst, a catalyst in our hearts for preparedness, Father, for response, God, and, 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 and for belief that you'll stir up our hearts by faith in the name of Jesus, God, and that we will not hide our eyes. If there's anybody here under the sound of my voice, and I think we all have at some time or another hidden our eyes, Father, from the very 
uh, very difficult subject that's going to be discussed here today, Lord. I pray that you will, God, strengthen us to have the courage to look. For firm, as we look, God, we're going to take notice of, and it's going to move us to action, Lord. So I thank you for it in Jesus' name and in all of God's children said, amen and amen. And you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I can't tell you how much I deeply appreciate the fact that you've come out this morning to worship the Lord, to give of your faithfulness and offerings unto the Lord, but also to have a prepared heart to receive the Word of God. So let me take you on this journey. There are certain times in your own individual life, the life of an individual, that you have to make certain decisions. And these certain decisions, obviously, as Joe was ministering and speaking of these young adults, Certainly, they're at a time and place in their life when, when certain decisions that can kind of cast the, perhaps for many years, the path that they're going to trod are going to be made. But ultimately, these certain decisions will define who you are. Um, and I really believe that decisions that we make typically, typically extend from our faith. I ultimately believe that what you are and who you are is defined by what you believe. I believe that with all my heart. Ultimately, there are times that you make these decisions, that when you make these decisions, you are aligning yourself. Maybe you don't know it, but you are actually aligning yourself with others who share the same or very similar values. Sometimes we think we're alone. Elijah thought he was alone until God said, no, I want to remind you I've got 7,000. 7,000 that, that they've not bowed their knee to Baal either. And so when you make certain decisions, you find yourself being aligned with men and women of like precious faith that share similar values. But obviously, that also often causes you to contrast the values of others. Let's go farther. Your decision and choice results in deeply seated division sometimes, even within your own immediate relationships, extending all the way from your immediate family and sometimes your local community all the way to national movements. Now, here's the reality. As national movements are formed, sometimes persecutions arise. And typically, and you'll agree with this, I believe, is that each side sees the other as not only fundamental in error, but doing great damage to the greater good of society. Let me say that one more time. I don't know if you were listening. So each side, as, these, as individuals make decisions and movements are formed, then typically what we see is that each side sees the other as not only fundamental in error, but doing great damage to the greater good of society. I shared with you, and I, I, I this will be for a later date, uh, but when Elijah confronted Ahab after the famine or during the days of the drought, when they both laid eyes on each other, Ahab said to Elijah, I have now found he who troubles Israel. But Elijah said, I've not troubled Israel, but you have troubled Israel. So there are opposing views here that are conflicting, and I think we're seeing a lot of that in our generation. Eventually, this divisive, heated uh, division grows to the point where civil disagreement sometimes becomes no longer tolerated, and tragically, conflict occurs. And here's the reality, and I've been speaking this for some, day, some time now, and that is we're on the verge of this in the United States. It's a very delicate time. You say, Pastor, I know that they're talking about the potential for a world conflict, and you've got what's happened in Russia and Ukraine, and then the potential of a conflict perhaps with the Western world, with China. I'm, I'm more concerned about the conflict that's taking place in the United States. Um, at the center of this division is a particular religious ideology. So don't forget that. It's a religious ideology that ultimately perhaps will define you, your faith, and how you choose to express this faith. So let me take you on this journey. This is the way that I feel that we could discover a modern 
cultural, very relevant topic, but we're going to do so through the lens of the Word of God. We shape Our worldview is shaped by a word view. Let me say that one more time. My preaching's way ahead of you today. So our worldview should be shaped by our word view, by the word view. And so I wrote a small statement or question. It's four words. How could this be? Don't forget this. How could this be? I want to talk about the people of ancient Israel for a little while. We often say, well, those are God's chosen people. How could this be? How could this be real quickly is this. The thing that historically plagued the nation of Israel was idolatry. If you read the word of God at all, you will discover that that, that was a plague. It was a challenge. It was that there were so many seasons when the entire nation, it would seem, or the majority of the nation would, would gravitate towards apostasy and then eventually idolatry. The God that had revealed himself as the invisible God on Mount Sinai was suddenly, initially, replaced by a golden calf. The, perhaps the time in the land of Egypt, when they were there for 400 years, when the people of Israel were accustomed to a pantheon, a plurality of gods. Perhaps they, 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 they grew bored by worshiping this invisible God that dwelled behind the curtains. I don't know what it was, but... Yahweh had clearly revealed himself to Israel, and in the Ten Commandments, he strictly forbade the worshiping of idols. And we know the Ten Commandments have not changed from the time that they were penned by the finger of God to the last time that your eyes fell on them in Exodus chapter number 20 in the Word of God. They have not changed. And God said that you shall have no other gods beside me because there is no other God. He is being the one true God. And so the teaching in the Mosaic Law was very strict related to Israel's involvement with Canaanite deities to which they were going to dispossess the people of the land. The Lord had said things like this, don't follow them, don't practice their ways, they're detestable, they're abominable, their practices are sensual, violent, and bloody, and they will quickly corrupt your society. God warned the people of Israel, he said, if you fall prey to the temptation to become idolatrous, the land itself will groan. The land itself will convulse, and it will eventually spew you out the way it is spewing out the Canaanites because of their idolatrous practices. The Scripture says that after Moses and Joshua, the people quickly succumbed to idolatrous practices with the pagans. The King James Version of the Bible would often say this, the people went a-whoring after other gods. Often repeated throughout the scripture. The end result of when the people went a whoring after other gods is this is that the enemy would uh, oppress, and I'm not talking about their spiritual enemy, the physical enemy would oppress them, and the people would eventually lose favor with God until a judge arose. And a judge would come with the anointing of God. We mentioned one last week, Deborah, but there were many others, Samta, Jephthah, many of which God's spirit would come upon them. And they would lead the people in some measure of a religious revival, repentance, and often they would then lead the people in war against the oppressing enemy. And once the people were in favor with God, God would add his blessing. I don't know about you. I don't want to live one minute on this planet without the blessing of God upon my life and the favor of God. If you read the book of Judges, which takes a place of about 400 years. Think about that. 400 years. The history of these United States. 
shorter, uh, is shorter than that time period uh, that, that, that the children of Israel recorded in the book of Judges time and time again, that they would, they would draw close to God, then they would fall prey to apostasy and idolatry. And eventually the people longed for a king because that, during their season of, of revival, they believed that a king would help them to keep them from falling prey to apostasy and idolatry again. And so the king, again, would be using his influence joined with the priesthood that had been given strict doctrinal instruction to teach the people the Torah. And so you know that God, Yahweh, the God that dwelt behind the curtain in the holy place in the tabernacle was worshipped via sacrifice, wasn't he? The sacrifice of of animals like lambs or of goats. And, and, And you couldn't come before the Lord without blood, right? And And substitution. And so with this, and so they were taught these principles, they practiced it in the Word of God, and so they, they said, well, we've got to have a king. So God relented, and he gave them a king. And so the history of the nation is the first three kings I want to note for just a moment. The first was Saul. When Saul, we know, if we study the Word of God, Saul had his ups and downs, didn't he? And he eventually found, he lost favor with God, but it wasn't because of idolatry. He did lose favor with God, and he was replaced by a younger one that the Bible says that was after God's own heart. And this one was a psalmist. He was poetic. He was also a warrior. Um, he was also, again, once he became crowned king, uh, that he was a prophetic as well. And we know him as David. And during the reign of David, we find that there was no national apostasy to the lure of idolatry. And, and so it, it was a great period. And actually, from David's dynasty forward, typically whenever a king arose, he was judged in contrast to David and his faithfulness because David's heart was after God, though he had some personal issues that he too struggled in. Now, following David's... And remember, this is a journey. We're going to go quickly to arrive at a particular location. Following David's death, his son shows even greater promise than David did. If David had a strike against him, it was that he was a man of blood. And because he was a man of blood, his, you know, his dynasty was forged in warfare. And so he could be used, but he was limited because his hands were tainted by blood. But Solomon seems to be, his son, was more of a peaceful man. And he had great promise. His father had prayed over him. His father had prepared for him to take the throne and to take the kingdom to an entirely too new level. And early in his reign, early in his reign, in sincerity of heart... He asked Yahweh not for greater fame or fortune. Early in Solomon's reign, he had a moment when he thought about the responsibility that had been given to him to lead the nation of Israel, the people of God. He prayed, and when he prayed, he didn't ask for greater fame or fortune. He asked for wisdom. He said, God, would you give me wisdom that I might lead such a tremendous group of people, the people of God? And the Bible says that God heard Solomon's prayer, judged him to be sincere, and in doing so, he gave him supernatural wisdom. That's going to take us to the first verse of Scripture we're going to put on the screen because it just helps us to understand. And God gave Solomon wisdom, understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. Two more verses of Scripture. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East Country and all the wisdom of Egypt. In verse 31. For he was wiser than all men, and his fame grew. So for a moment, let's consider that. So during the days of Judges, one of the most famous of all Judges is Samson. Because we know that God gave Samson supernatural strength. Beyond natural ability, correct? In order to do great exploits. 
Well, in like manner, Solomon, when he prayed, God gave him beyond natural wisdom, beyond natural understanding. He gave him supernatural, supernatural wisdom in order to lead the people of God. And in doing so early on, there's tremendous success in his kingdom. During his time period, the Bible says that the, that the temple was built. And during the time that the temple was, uh, in Jerusalem was built, there was a replacing of the tabernacle, was transitionary in worship to the, to the temple, to the place that God had chosen for it to dwell. And there was an exaggerated writing in the Word of God that tells of how the economy flourished during Solomon's le leadership. Let's put that verse up there. Second Chronicles chapter number 1, verse number 15 tells us that during those days, the king made silver and gold as Jerusalem as plenteous as stones. Now, wouldn't that be awesome? Especially if you live up here in the hill country. You don't have to go out in the yard very far to find rock laying around. How would you like to go out there and find silver and gold laying there? And that's what the, the so, so obviously that's exaggerated, but it is showing us that because of that supernatural wisdom that God gave Solomon, that, 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 that the economy is flourishing during his reign. But then what happened here, just real quickly, is that some things, uh, as he began to expand the kingdom and he made, uh, he, you know, he is representing the nation to the other nations, here's what happens so often is, is that the king will often make peace accords with other kingdoms. And in doing so, they make, you know, they make an exchange of goods and services. Nothing's changed. We still see that today, correct? And so they exchange goods and services, but in accordance with the governmental practices of that time, Often there was an exchange of wives. And in doing so, the king would have, unfortunately, tragically, many wives and therefore many children. And his daughters would sometimes then be given to another king as part of governmental goodwill. Another verse of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 3, to just show you what I'm telling you is true. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he took Pharaoh's daughter to be his wife and brought her into the city of David. So that didn't happen just on one occasion. It happened on many occasions. So you can see here that Solomon is flourishing. He's the third king in the, in the history of the monarchies of the people of God. The people of God now have more than just a transitionary temple or their transitionary means of worship called the tabernacle. They have the temple. The people are established. They're, the priest is established, they're reading the Torah, they're studying the Torah, they're ministering, they're coming three times annually to the festivals, the, the people are flourishing, the it is a great time to be in Israel. But again, when you can walk out in the backyard and kick the dust and kick up a gold rock, that's a good time to be alive. Come on, somebody, amen? And so it's a great season. And so you say, Pastor, well then, you told me, Pastor, that, that, that there was a tragedy here that came along. And so go back to that question. How did it happen? How did this happen? That's what we're about to show you real quickly. And it's going to help set the course of where we're going to go here in a few moments. First Kings chapter number 11 is verses 1 through 10 or 11. But King Solomon loved many strange women. That should warn you right there. Don't love many strange women. I'll teach that to the youth, James. Let's go a little bit farther. Verse number 2. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. Let's go farther, verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Verse 4. And it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. 
And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Let's go farther. Verse 5. This is how we got here. Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Verse number 6. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully. Remember the one that was gifted with supernatural wisdom. How many of you know the deceitfulness of sin? That you can even have wisdom that is beyond the natural, ordinary uh, wisdom that we can acquire that can come from God. And sin can deceive your heart and mind. Solomon ultimately does evil on the side of the Lord. He does not follow the Lord as his father David did. Verse 7, Solomon, we're going to pay attention to this, built a high place for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem. And especially, we're going to note this one, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. Let's go ahead and read this on down for two or three more verses. We will come back to seven. And likewise did he for all of his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their gods. Verse number nine. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And the Lord commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Is that the last verse of that text right there? And so God was angry with Solomon because his heart had been turned and he fell prey to idolatry. So it's one thing that he accommodated the worship of these gods by his wife. But the scripture says that he actually began to build houses for them. Something that was strictly forbidden in the Mosaic law, the law of Moses to the children of Israel. The children of Israel had been purchased by God. They were not their own. They had been bought with a price. And they had agreed in a covenant to become a peculiar people. A distinct people, distinct from all nations of the world. But now Solomon is erecting tabernacles or temples or high places for other gods, little g, to be worshipped. Not only by his wives, but all who would then add their agreement and ultimately he himself fell prey to this type of worship. Now, as we talked about just real quickly in verse 7, there's one in particular beyond Shemosh, but Molech. There's, there's something about the worship of Molech that I just got to talk to you about today. It's going to lead us to where I want you to go with me for just a little bit. These have a historical horror that is associated with them. Sometimes they were called Baal. Baal became a little bit more of a universal name applied to the Canaanite deities. But not only did, the in verse 7, not only did, in verse number 6, I think it was, it spoke about burning incense unto them. Not only did they burn incense, but here was a warning that God gave the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter number 12. Before they ever crossed the Jordan River, before they, are y'all out there today? Stay with me on this journey. We're going somewhere. It's going to become very relevant soon. It's not now. Right now, it is ancient history, and it's a brief historical lesson of the children of Israel. Before they ever crossed the Jordan River to go into the promised land, God through Moses had warned them about the detestable practices of the Canaanites that they were intended by God to dispossess. We're going to read that in Deuteronomy 12, verses 29 through 32. When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whether thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, take heed to yourself that you be not ensnared by following them. For they, and after that, that they be destroyed from before thee, and that thou not inquire not after their gods, 
saying, how did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do. Pause real quickly. Simply put, God is telling Israel, don't you adapt their practices. And even if there's a pull or a lure to idolatry, and you're like, man, I like the God that they're worshiping. He looks good. They chiseled him out of stone and silver and put him up on a pedestal. And, and I want to worship like the, the, the other people. Look what verse number 31 says. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. Hard for us even to fathom, especially on a day when I noted from this pulpit that there were three brand new infants born in loving families brought into the house today, that we're noting on the screen that there was a time in the history of ancient Israel where they were tempted by other nations that were passing their children into the fire and sacrifice. And I know it's hard for you to look at this, but don't hide your eyes because there's more going on in the culture in which we live today. So the children of Israel, seduced by these nations, warned by God, but fell prey to the seduction of idolatry, the psalmist is later looking back at what took place despite the warning. And that's in Psalm 106. It's six verses of Scripture. We've got to read it. Here's what God is saying about the children of Israel. They didn't destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them. They were mingled among the heathen, and they learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. And... The people that have been chosen by God to value human life, to name their children names of destiny, because God's name is a name of destiny. The offspring of God were chosen to name their children with names that would cast destiny for their future, have been so seduced by demonic spirits that their minds are blinded they adapt to the practices of the Canaanites and they take their children that they, were, have, they should have dedicated in the house of God to worship Yahweh, to grow and nurture and to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord and they take them to a pagan shrine, a high place, a hillside and there they sacrifice their sons and their daughters unto devils. If you believe the word of God, then you can't overlook it. You have to acknowledge it with your own eyes. Let's read it on down. Two other verses. They shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Last verse there, 39 verse. Thus they defiled their own works. Remember what I said. They went a-whoring with their own inventions. So for much of Israel's history... They shed the blood of innocent children in the land. Israel's primary conflict typically was involved in bell worship, the Canaanite bell worship. We see that all throughout the Word of God. It typically involved sensual temple prostitution. Has anybody ever studied that in the history of, your, of the nation of Israel? Sensual prostitution? And any time that unwanted children occurred, because if you have temple prostitution you're going to eventually have unwanted children. Well, then you need a solution. If Baal said, 
that you can have illicit sexual relationship in order to incite Baal, the pagan deity of the Canaanites, to have sex, celestial sex with Ashtoreth that they might water the earth and you produce an entire generation of unwanted children in the way to rid yourself of that burden of possessing those unwanted children is to worship another deity called Molech. Because Molech could only be satisfied not by the blood of the innocent lamb, but by the blood of a goat or of a bull or an ox, but by the blood of the infant and of the children. The Bible says that they made their sons and daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech. Here's what Jeremiah the prophet, just a few years before God, God's wrath comes upon the nation because of their sin, he looks back. And Jeremiah here writes and says, They have forsaken me. They have estranged this place. They burned incense unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah. And they have filled this place with the blood of innocence. And listen to the condemnation of God. God said they have built high places of Baal, and they have burned their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal. And God said, I didn't command it, I didn't speak it, and it didn't even come into my mind. See, there are two totally different worldviews that are being lived out in the lives of people. And it's not just new to our generation. Historically, it's been this way. Different ideologies, religious practices are then being lived out in the faith of the individuals. The children of Israel seem to have fallen prey to these idolatrous practices, and they're worshiping this pagan deity called Molech. Now, Molech seems to have been worshipped in some measure of an elaborate pagan cultural ritual. And so with this, i got a picture for just a moment of time. This is what many believe because they found images of him in modern uh, archaeological uh, um, uh, you know, studies, and, or excuse me, excavations. And so it is believed, it's debated by some, but the overwhelming consensus of scholars, both Christian or Jewish, but also secular, believe that Molech... Because did you know Molech became a part of the Carthage, of the nation, or the city of Carthage, excuse me? And they discovered there at Carthage, which was an enemy of Rome going all the way back to the first century, that they actually discovered there, even at Carthage, where a very, a very um, civilized people were worshiping Molech, and they found hundreds of infant babies, bodies consumed in the fire. Or, or, or bones that have been burned. They, they discovered hundreds. You can read that on your own. So this is just a little so a drawing of what someone felt like. That Because they believed that Molech had a, had a cavity in his chest. And, uh, some type of gateway would be opened. And some type of door would be drawn down. And the worshiper would pass the child off to the hands of the priest. And the priest would then go over as the flames would begin to leap out. And they would toss the child into the arms of the priest. And it would slide through the arms of the priest. But of the idol into the, into the chamber where it was then incinerated as the people bowed and worshipped. Did you know they tell us that they played drums very loud, so loud that the worshiper, the father, the mother would not hear the screams of their children as they were being incinerated in the fire. It's hard for us to read those things, isn't it? Hard for us to talk about those things. You say, Pastor, what can move somebody, a mother and father, or, or, or perhaps a mother without a father present, to, to bring that child, it's because of probably the teaching of the, of the cult of the people that worship Molech because they would promise them 
a greater economic future. If you do this, then the, the, child, will be, the child is a burden to you. But, but if you'll appease the gods, then the gods will cause you to be more prosperous. Don't forget that. So there are many temples and shrines, priesthoods and rituals and teachings. So the Mosaic Law was very harsh in dealing with any that practiced the type of worship that we're talking about. This is our last text of Scripture that we're going to read. This is actually my text to open with. I just saved it for last before I finish my introduction. And the Lord spake unto Moses. And I know it's quiet in here. I'll tell you what, my heart's been heavy as I've studied the latter couple of days. But I'm about to take it from the ancient history and put a very modern application on it here in just a moment. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Leviticus 20, verse 1, Thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Molech. Here's what, how many know that the, the law of Moses is very direct? It could be very harsh. That's what we thank God for the blood of Jesus, don't we? It could be very harsh. God deals with this very harshly in the law. He says, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones, capital punishment. And I will set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from among his people, because he hath given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. But verse 4 says, And if the people of the land do in any ways hide their eyes, from the man, when he giveth of a seed into Molech and kill him not, God said, I'll step in. And I'll set my face against that man, against his family, and cut him off, and all that go whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among their people. And I know you say, Pastor Brown, nobody preaches about things like that in today's generation. Everything is pillowy soft in our culture today. No, not if you read the Word of God. If you read it and you say, God, I want to know all the truth. I don't want to just know that makes me feel good about myself and so I can feel like, no, I want to know God. God I tell you what, God hates sin, right, from the Genesis. God is holy, and the people that are going to worship him have to worship him in spirit and in truth. And you can't just pick and choose, and you can't just go through here tearing out what you want to keep and, and what you want to leave behind. No, you got to say, God, I want all the counsel of God. Because let me tell you, the Word of God is living and active, and what happened back then is being repeated in our generation it's just masked itself just a little bit. It's just masquerading itself just a little bit. So here's where I'm about to transition for in this context. Is it fair, with the little bit that I put on the screen today that will make your stomach churn, if you've got any common decency at all inside your heart, your heart is just twisted up inside. In your mind, you don't want to think about that. You don't want to contemplate anybody taking their child, a living, breathing child made in the image of God and casting it into an incinerator to be consumed, and we will all quickly look away, afraid to look, that somehow, like the little girl in her bed, afraid of the boogeyman, that if she will just simply cover her head, then it will go away, or it's not present. We too hide our eyes. We can't hide our eyes any longer, church family. I'm telling you, the days that have dawned upon us will demand that you face head on the thing that you've been unwilling to look at. Is it fair? Is it fair for a preacher to make comparison between the ancient practice of child sacrifice and the modern practice 
of abortion. Is it fair? Many preachers do, including myself. Here's the reality in my perspective. Ancient and even modern, did you know the modern practice of child sacrifice still lives in many countries? My heart wrenched as I studied about Uganda last night and little children that survived mutilation at the hand of a witch doctor who attempted to cut their head off to appease a deity on behalf of a couple who was wanting greater financial prosperity. So is it fair? Ancient modern child sacrifice, excuse me, ancient, let's just call it ancient. Ancient child sacrifice, sacrifice an infant or a toddler. Abortion sacrifices a preborn child. In abortion, the preborn child is dismembered in the mother's womb. And the dismembered child's body parts are removed by vacuum or surgical tools. Some body parts are harvested and sold, supposedly for research. Others, the majority, some are, some are buried, the parts of the child that has been aborted, but the majority are incinerated. Did you know they found in Washington in 2014 they were taking medical waste from hospitals and they were using them to produce energy? When finally someone said, those medical waste that you are incinerating to, so that we can run the, you know, our electrical devices include the bodies of aborted babies. Finally, they were able to get a little measure of that stopped. You know, here's a fair question. Is equality or a career choice the God Molech in our generation? That's a fair question, isn't it? I preached about empowering women last week, didn't I? Do y'all remember that message? It was on my heart. It was a good thing. But when we think about it a little bit farther, there is so much depravity in the context of empowering women today that you better look at it closer than the way that it is presented through the modern feminist movement. There's an extreme darkness to it as well. So here's a, a, a lady pastor who has written a few things here that I, I want to just kind of read to you for real quickly because she's making, a, she's making a, a comparison. She said, we moderns like to believe our culture is enlightened and far removed from those detestable, morally depraved ancient practices. The truth, however, may reveal otherwise. Consider a full-page advertisement featured in June in 2019 in the New York Times. It was published in response to a number of recently passed pro-life laws under the misleading title of Don't Ban Equality, where it read in part, it's time for companies to stand up for reproductive health care. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortions, or, uh, including abortion that threatens the health independence and economic stability of our employees and customers. Simply put, it goes against our values and it is bad for business. They're not even hiding it. Restricting abortion is by saying that is, is bad for business. Phrased a little bit more honestly, she says, abortion is good for business. In other words, abortion must be preserved for the sake of business. Does that sit well with you? 
To be as charitable as possible to add sponsors, we're trying to address this underlying reality. Pregnancy and babies unequally affect women's professional careers. This cannot be denied, but is abortion the answer, she writes. Now, Justice Anthony Kennedy in 1992, you know where I'm going in a moment, and I'm just being honest with you. In 19, but in 1992, when Roe v. Wade was before the court again, it's not the last time it was before the court, or the first time it was before the court as it has been through the, uh, through the latter part of 2021, and we're awaiting, we're awaiting the outcome. Did you know they're expecting it possibly tomorrow? Very possibly as early as tomorrow, the actual court's decision to possibly send Roe back to the states. Justice Anthony Kennedy writes in 1992, For two decades of economic and social developments, people have organized intimate relationships and made choices that define their views of themselves and their places in society in reliance upon the availability of abortion in the event that contraception should fail. The ability of women to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation has been facilitated by their ability to control their reproductive lives. And so the letter goes on. I won't take the time to read it. In essence, what they're saying, go back with me to ancient times. And the people were deceived by a priest of Molech that said to the people that if you will give me your child, we will incinerate him in the be- him or her in the belly of Molech. And in doing so, Molech will ensure that you have a more productive economic future. That's exactly what was happening. And we have today the abortion industry, the Molech of our generation, telling the women of not only the United States and around the world that if you will simply bring us, come to us, we will take that unwanted child out of your womb and we will cast it into the incinerator so that if we will, Molech can be satisfied, but you will have a greater economic future. You tell me if there's a difference. At the end of the day... Molech is still being satisfied by the blood of the infant. And the lies of the devil are being perpetuated. It doesn't matter whether it's an ancient culture or a modern culture. Hmm. Are y'all out there today? Now, Pastor Brown, where are you going with this? I only got a couple more pages of notes, so I'm stay with me for a moment of time. I know your heart's heavy. I know that you want to hide your head. Pastor Burton showed a video when I was young in ministry at MacArthur Assembly, and he challenged the church, and he put it because it was on the screen, and they showed children being able. They showed, and I have to admit, my my heart was so broken that I looked away. I couldn't stand to look at it, but we can no longer stand to look away. Now is the time that we got to meet this issue head on. The blood of, the, of, of innocence is corrupting the land, polluting the land, and we're losing a future. Children are being aborted. About 2,000 a day in certain places. It's just crazy. The numbers are staggering. You know, I wrote it this way. Uh, I remember years ago when Hillary Clinton, this is long before she was running for president, but she said this. She said she believed that abortion should be available, safe, and rare. That's no longer the words of today. They're not concerned about rare anymore. Rare would take away the profits of Planned Parenthood. So they're not concerned. They simply want abortion on demand is, what, is the intent. And you know what? When you think about women's rights for just a moment of time, I understand when they say, listen, why are men making all these decisions on behalf of... Men are not. You know who leads the pro-life 
movement? Women do. Women, women. So it's not just women that are on one side. There are women, many hundreds and thousands and millions that are on the pro-life side, that are leading the charge. So it's far bigger than this. So some, here's where we are. The issue is so hotly debated that you're going to no longer be able to look away. Some vehemently defend the supposed right of women to make their own choice that they are preparing for conflict. The word's already out. They will become ungovernable. I told you two weeks ago you will see flames leaping from the cities unlike anything that we ever thought would happen in the history of these United States. I told you before, and I'll just go ahead and, and continue, but it's not just going to be in the major metropolitan cities. This is bigger than that today. And so we're going farther. We gotta be, you've got to be prepared to know what you believe and why you believe it. Are y'all here today? Now listen, when this ha- if it happens, if Roe is overturned, it doesn't mean it's going to outlaw abortion. It simply means it's going to return the issue to the states. You know that, correct? And each state will then, through their local representatives, reflect the values of its constituencies, and they would decide its legality. Some states aren't even waiting. God bless the governor of Oklahoma. The governor of Oklahoma said, we're not waiting. And they've now, they've now uh, pr- prohibited abortion all, except for the, the health of the mother or of rape, which is about 1% at the, majority, the 1% of all abortions. So here's my question for you for a couple of things real quickly. Will you, will you, will you continue to look away? I, I don't believe you're going to be able to. I believe you're going to be forced to decide and align with people of similar values. I really do. And there's a lot of conflict in the church. We're going to get there next week. We're not there today. I'm getting soon ready to close. My question for us is, will we bow before the golden statue of ancient yet modern idolatrous practice? Or will we be like the three Hebrew children? Or will we become like the three Hebrew children and will say this, I may burn, but I'm not bowing. And I pray for that type of courageous faith in the heart of men and women that said, you know what, I'm going to lay it on the line. There are some things that are willing that you just simply say, I'm not backing up any farther. I'll work with you. I'll stand beside you. I'll do all those. There are some things I'm not holding your hand and singing kumbaya anymore because you and I are not on the same page. You're worshiping one God, and I'm worshiping another God all entirely different. And I want you to know today, I believe we can no longer look away, but we got to face this issue head on as the people of God. I remember in the end of World War II that when the, 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 the NATO forces discovered the atrocities that had taken place in the concentration camps, General Eisenhower was brought there personally to tour them. He writes in his, in, in his uh, what do they call it, memoirs? Is that how you say it? I may not pronounce it right. But he writes that it made him sick at his stomach. And so he initially, what he did was he, he wrote and he said, I need press I need the free press, and I want to invite every congressman, every congresswoman to come over here and tour this with yourself so that you don't forget. And then you may remember what he did. Remember, anybody remember what he did? He made the German people. He made the German people that had looked away. He made them stand in file and walk into those chambers and see the mass, the masses of humanity that had been slaughtered in the mind of Hitler and by the means of the SS. He made them. Why? Lest they wanted to hide their eyes in the future. I'm getting ready to close. I'm going to close with this here in just a second today. 
So, Pastor Brown, you say, well, those are your views. But are they the views of the assemblies of God? That's a fair question. Those are mine. What I shared with you today, these, this is Pastor Brown's worldview. I, I believe in life. I do. I believe that. I just believe that God said, through the word of God, he said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I already knew you. I believe that God said, I saw you inside your mother's womb. I see in the word of God that we're naming children when they're in the womb. I see in the word of God when children are hearing the voice of one that's carrying the life of another and the child leaps in the womb of its mother. I see life happening inside the womb. And, and so, so we believe, uh, so, so, that, so I have my views, but I want, you to, I want to take you here in conclusion. I'm going to take you here in conclusion. Let me put my stuff together. And I know you said, Pastor Brown, I really like when you come. You just preach this exciting message. It's got us all jumping and shouting. Listen, I'm not into jumping and shouting right now. I'm into saying, you know what? We better get ready. You better get ready. This is a real deal. we got to be more focused and more vigilant and more active than we have ever been in the past. And so very quickly, as I'm getting ready to close, you say, well, what about the assemblies of God? Pastor Brown, you don't speak for all the assemblies of God, do you? I certainly do not. But remember, I've been telling you that you need to go to the Assemblies of God website, ag.org. ag.org, and there you'll find beliefs. And when you click on beliefs, you will see position papers and there once you click on position papers there will be about 30 position papers that are come up and you will find one entitled the sanctity of human life abortion and reproductive issues it was adopted by the general presbytery in session august 9th through 11th in 2010 once again it is a very well written document and i encourage you on your own to go there and read it and i'll just hit a couple of high spots as they address many more issues other than abortion Here's under the initial statement of abortion. The Assemblies of God views the practice of abortion as an evil that has been inflicted upon millions of innocent babies and that will threaten millions more in the years to come. Now listen, why is that so? Not every church is courageous enough to say this is what we believe. You better align yourself with people of similar values. I'm just telling you the days ahead. Thank God for the people that were courageous enough. Let's go a little bit farther. They address the killing of innocent persons. God's word is very explicit that the, the taking of innocent human life is according to the Mosaic law, thou shalt not murder. They quote from an ancient uh, theologian from the uh, 16th century, John Calvin. For John Calvin expressed the horror of abortion in commenting on Exodus 21. So in the, in the 16th century, John Calvin is addressing abortion in his generation. Listen to what he said. He said, the fetus, though enclosed in the womb of his mother, is already a human being. And it is a monstrous crime to rob it of life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. Listen to how he makes the comparison. If it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in the field, because a man's house is his place of his most secure refuge, it ought to surely be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it has come to light. Are y'all out there today? They address, lastly, before they give us six things to close with of Christian action, the woman's right to choose. They address this, we therefore expressly deny that this supposed legal right automatically confers upon the pregnant woman the moral right to abort her unborn child. Thank God. I don't know about who you choose to line up with, but I'm going to line up with people that have a similar value system and face the conflict head on by not looking away. 
Are y'all here today, church family? I know, I know this is a heavy subject. Trust, nobody knows it more than me. Nobody knows the hours that I've sat in my office thinking and pondering these things and just my spirit just grieves. And I'm thinking, I know there, I know there, I know sometimes there, 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 there are, are single mothers and issues and economic issues and there's all kinds of things, but I just believe that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the modern generation. And many even in civilized nations that don't worship what they call false gods or idols do so because those false gods have masqueraded in another form. And the same practice is occurring today. So here, lastly today, very quickly, a few things. I was talking with somebody about this privately, and they said, Pastor, I believe exactly what you're talking about. He said, I just don't know what to do. What do I do? At the conclusion of this article, they gave six bullet points real quickly for Christian action. We're going to close with this today. Are you all here today? I don't know what other pastors are preaching. I don't know what other. I'm not connected to a lot of pastors here in, in, in Hebrew Springs. But I'm telling you, we can no longer hide our eyes. You can no longer hide our eyes, your eyes. You're going to have to make a decision with who you're going to put yourself in agreement with. Number one, Christian action is what Christians should do is pray earnestly. Don't forget the power of prayer. Right? How many know the greatest, the greatest weapon we have is the power of prayer? Right, to call upon the name of the Lord our God. Right, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Are you out there today? To the pulling down. How many Molech needs to be cast down one more time? The children of Israel, did you know this? I love, I love Joe and Ann named their son, their second born son after him. Josiah, though Solomon in his wisdom and deceived by, uh, by, by spirit, uh, uh, erects these shrines to Molech and Shemosh, but a righteous king many generations later by the name of, of Josiah goes and he takes that shrine of Molech down and burns it and casts it into the valley of Hinnom. That's the valley of Hinnom, which we call Gehenna. It's the place that Jesus pointed to when he was referencing hell. And Josiah cast down Molech. Pray that God raises up. Come on, somebody that can cast it down. Number two, Christians should provide biblical moral instruction in their homes. You need to talk about it, but also public forum. you got to be not ashamed to talk about it. Listen, you know what the world wants? I'll get to this next week. And the world wants us silent. They don't want us to have a public opportunity to address people. It's very possible that somebody will flag this message on Facebook. Even though there's a 200 views, typically 150 views in the course of the week, that somebody somewhere will flag it because it's not, in, it's not consistent with Facebook's view of abortion, or at least the owners of Facebook. So number two, Christians should provide public forum. We've got to be unafraid to talk about these issues. The reality is we've got the answers. Number three, Christians should actively support. This is from the Assemblies of God, Christian Action. Number three, you should actively support candidates who embrace the sanctity of life. You should support pro-life candidates. If that causes you to leave a particular party that you were a part of for many years and your family was a part of and you said, well, my family was this and I'll always be this, well, then that's wrong. You need to repent of that and say that the party today is not the party of yesterday and so they've changed. I'm going to have to change because I'm no longer aligned with their values, right? You're going to have to be courageous enough to say, nope, I know you support it and so therefore I can You need to be willing to sell yourself out on some things. And if you, if you can't sell yourself out on this, I really question the sincerity of your Christian faith. Christians have to support candidates and political parties that are pro-life. Number four. 
Christians should work with legislative and governmental agencies. You work to influence. We need to be influencers. Are you here today? You need to be, you need to be writing and calling. You need to let them know that you, that, that, that you oppose immoral laws. Number five, very quickly today, Christians should counsel those with unwanted pregnancies. Right? Be willing to talk to somebody. Be willing to talk to a single mother that maybe, and, and say, listen, there, there's, there's a way. People are willing to help. Families are willing to help, right? And you can support financial, not only adoption agencies, but the Assemblies of God and many other Christian denominations. They say, well, the church does. I'll tell you the church cares because we establish homes for perhaps single mothers, even married mothers that can go to and they can be brought all the way to the place where they deliver that child safely and they can be taught how to be a mom and then they can make a decision after the birth of their child if they want to turn that child over to adoption they can but if they say after they've looked into the eyes of their loving child they have changed entirely and decide to keep the child themselves then they will be taken care of as well thank God and that's why every week we anytime that you ever want to write an offer and say Pastor Brown I didn't know we had such a thing and then we do it's called Hillcrest Children's Home right here in Hot Springs and you can write a check a big fat check with lots of zeros on the end and dedicate it to Hillcrest and we will send it down there and support those financial adoption agencies and beyond number six and lastly is that we have to minister to those who suffer guilt because some do and many do who suffer guilt, but we also have to be willing to denounce violent acts committed against abortionists. Because once again, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. We have to trust that God's the judge, not us. Are you hearing me today? So as I close this message today, and I am closing, I don't know what time it is, and I know it's a very somber, a very somber Sunday I don't know, neither do you, when the Supreme Court is going to actually release their ruling on Roe. It's a very contemporary issue, isn't it? Come on. It's a very hotly debated issue. Sides are being formed beyond where they were, have already previously been formed. My call is to you. Don't hide your eyes any longer it's time to say can't do it nope nope not i'm not going there enough's enough enough's enough do your part find your place in this battle find your place in this battle it's an evil that's been it's been passed through generations it's hitting entire community it's just it's a sadness god said it never once entered my mind let me tell you what the enemy will do. The enemy will spin it. He will spin it in such a way to you that are fighting for life are the evil person. Trying to prohibit this young lady from her greater economic future. The enemy will spin it until you are that right winger. You're aligned to this Christian right and your worldview is conflicting with ours and and, and you're old-fashioned, and, and you're in my womb, and you're in my uterus. Every vile thing that you can imagine will be, will be thrown at the Christian that stands up for the right to life. So, but I'm telling you, God's saying to us, and he's saying to me, we're not going to hide our eyes. We're going to do our part, whatever that is. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me today.
Church family, this is the gospel. Let me tell you, this is the gospel. Pastor Brown, is this the gospel? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave his lifeblood on the tree to forgive us of our sin, to cause us to have a different entirely worldview. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. They don't see what you and I see. They need a revelation, right, Joe, of Jesus Christ. They have to have a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. If the church cannot be the salt and light on the issue as complex and as important as the value of human life, then we are nothing but a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. That's all we are. We're white noise in the background on a late Saturday night. That's all that we are. If we don't have a conviction that can stand for truth in a darkened generation, I encourage you, know what you believe. Will y'all do that with me? Know what you believe and be willing to defend your place verbally in conversation to discuss it. Let's close in prayer. We're not hide, we may close our eyes, but we're not hiding our eyes. We're closing our eyes because we want to call upon the name of the Lord. And I want to I ask us to repent when we've, when we've turned away. Who will? I will. Who will? I, I will confess and say, Father, when I've turned away, when I've turned my eyes away, when I've been afraid, when I've been afraid because to be involved will disrupt the little quaint, perfect little life that I think I have. And, and, and I'll turn away from it. I just, we just want to live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness. And we don't want to be moved. We want to be challenged. And sometimes, I hate to say this, I'm going to just challenge you. To, that's why many of us live up in the old country. We live up here because we think we can get as far away from it as we can. But you can't escape this. It's been like leaven and it's permeated the land. And we've got to have a work of God that's great. Our eyes, as we pray, would you all pray with me? Say, God, help me to not turn my eyes. Help me not turn my eyes away. Help me to be uh, cognitively aware of this and, 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 to be, and to be fully and adequately prepared to do my part, whatever that means in Jesus' name. That, God, that I'm willing. If it means change the way I vote, I'll change the way I vote. If it means change the way I pray, I'll change the way I pray. If it means uh, my financial support, uh, I've got to uh, give greater financial support to create, to help organize whatever it is, whatever course of action that the Spirit of the living God puts upon my heart, then I need to be willing to do. Glory to God. Help me. And help our church. Help our church collectively to do our part. Right now, God, I want to pray for those that are in legislative bodies. Who will pray that with me right now, here today? Men or, men or women, uh, uh, male or female, black or white, it doesn't matter. What, 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 it doesn't matter race or whatever. But whatever parties that are making decisions, we're praying, God, that they will make decisions for the good of the unborn. I'm praying for them, God. I'm praying for legislative laws to be passed that will protect innocent unborn human life God that's our prayer today we pray for it in the name of Jesus God we ask you said in the word father that you could take the heart of the king and you could turn it whithersoever you may so God we're praying father turn turn the hearts turn the hearts turn the hearts oh God in the name of Jesus turn the hearts God I pray father God I know that my prayer might be shallow my preaching perhaps the same but God I pray that the conviction has been real and the people of God have been challenged. And that they will no longer turn their eyes away from an issue that affects them more than they know. 
And that, God, that we will be willing to speak and to stand up for and to be an activist and not a pacifist on this particular very difficult subject. Put a deep-seated conviction in the heart of each one of us and unify the church unlike never before. Who will pray that prayer with me right now? I feel the Spirit of God on that. Unify the church. Here's the reality. If it causes us to lose people, God, then we'll lose them if it unifies the rest of us. Are you hearing me today? If we have to turn and let people walk away, we'll turn and let them walk away because those that are going to be united must be united in faith, God, in a common agreement, God, in the name of Jesus. So we pray. We pray this today, God. It seems as if the line is being drawn, God, and we just pray, Father, in Jesus' name that we are aligned with men and women of like, similar values and faith in a common agreement. We will not turn our eyes away. We're going to trust God to do the miraculous, Lord. That's our prayer. You do the miraculous, God, in Jesus' name. Now, lastly, in closing today, it starts right here. Here's our last one to pray about. It starts with young men and young ladies making better decisions about their sexuality. That's where it starts at. God, we pray. Hollywood has convinced a culture about an open sexual experience beginning from the earliest of teenage days with no consequences. God, the old ancient word of abstinence until marriage. Can you bring that back, Father, we pray. Can we bring it back, oh God, in the name of Jesus? Can we bring it back that people would become to protect their womb? Men would protect their seed. Are you all out there today? Young boys would be cautious and and. And, and recognize that there's a, a safe place. There's a safe place for sexuality, and it's in a covenant called marriage. And I pray, God, today that that will come to the forefront in the American culture in which we live. So, God, every little nuance of this journey, and I don't claim to have all the answers. I just have a little grain of sand on the seashore today, God. I pray that we will, we will share the truth of the Word at the right time, in the right moment, in the right way. To affect somebody in a positive way for the kingdom of God. That's our prayer. I bless the people. I thank you for their agreement. I thank you for their time. I pray that you will bless them. They're going to leave this building today. Some of them are going to be twisted up inside. But their eyes will not be turned away any longer. And I thank God for that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, amen and amen. Thank you so much for your for your participation with me today. I don't believe I was preaching to the choir. I believe I was preaching to people who are saying, Pastor Brown, I hear what you're saying. The Spirit of God is speaking to my heart. We'll look forward to seeing you Wednesday night. We'll keep you abreast on the phone tree in case we have to change the, our plan for the big Wednesday. Love one another. If you see.